Today's episode is sponsored by Sparkloop. Sparkloop is the number one newsletter growth platform. I'm in the Sparkloop partner program, and within the first week, I saw my email list grow by over 12,000%. That's insane. Their newsletter growth strategies and options are the most affordable rates I have ever seen on the market. I'm no longer paying between $5 and $10 per acquired email through online ads. Now, I pay as little as $1 for warm emails that stay on my list and engaged for over 30 days. Everything is customizable in Sparkloop, and they will set you up with a team member to help you through the process. Head on over to calenbrecken.com forward slash Sparkloop for more details, or just click the link in the show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Business Gay Podcast, where we talk about all things business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Callum Brecken, and on today's episode, I have entrepreneur Godfrey Riddle. Godfrey is an artist, nonprofit executive, public speaker, and serial social entrepreneur who is driven to create inspiring communities where people can reach their full potential. As a visual servant leader, he has created and managed lines of business for nonprofit organizations that have generated over $19.4 million since 2014 and with a lifetime profitability rate of 80%. Godfrey founded Civic Saint in October of 2020 as a protest brand offering affirming apparel and accessories to advance social justice through donations to advocate organizations. Today, it has pioneered a process to sustainably produce artful, affordable housing and adaptive communities for revitalization and wealth creation in redline areas. For those of you who are unaware of what redline means, it's a term used for racial discrimination in housing. I saw Godfrey pitch Civic Saint live at the NGLCC Leadership Conference this past summer in Denver and was blown away by the work he's doing as well as his pitching skills. And so were the judges since he ended up walking home with the $30,000 grand prize. I am so excited to dive into the work Godfrey is doing and to find out more about what his entrepreneurial journey has been like. So let's dive in. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Godfrey. I'm so excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. I Yeah, well, once I saw you, I was like, I need to have him on the podcast. He's amazing. <laughs> you flatter me so, my friend. You flatter me so. <laughs> uh, awesome. Cool. Well, let's just jump in, dive in. Let's start with why did you become an entrepreneur? Ah, lack of other options. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, truly, um, I've always just been a jack of all trades and uh, really curious about the world around me and a generalist. So entrepreneurship is a space that's kind of allowed me to unite all of my passions or interests and skill sets and also put me in a place where I'm constantly learning. So um, I just love building. I love discovery. And those, um, in my view, are, are two elements that are like essential to be a good entrepreneur or entrepreneur in general. Yeah, definitely. Curiosity is one of the biggest reasons to be an entrepreneur. It's like the curiosity of like, well, can I do that? Should I do that? And then also just being a bad employee. Because I was a bad yeah. employee. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are just like, mm, not that we're bad employees. We're actually very good employees, but we're bad in the sense that it's like, oh, that's not efficient or, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. Or, oh, why do I have to do this? It makes absolutely no sense. And we're constantly questioning things. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So <laughs> Civic Saint, uh, speaking of your new businesses, Civic Saint started off as an apparel and accessory business. How did it get all the way from over there to then becoming a building sustainable and affordable housing business? Like what? T- walk me through that journey. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a jump. I mean, technically speaking, your home is where you keep your clothes. So I think the alignment's pretty, pretty clear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I worked on that one for weeks. Um, (laughs) But more genuinely, I mean, for me, I I had a, a mentor who told me that you know, entrepreneurship is hard. So you should probably pick things that you know about or that are drawn from your lived experience more directly. So, you know, what are your passions? What fires you up as an injustice or excites you as a moment of exuberance and joy? What gives you curiosity? You know, those probing questions. And for me, I've always had a passion for the arts in general, um, creativity, and public service. Those are all interests that I inherited from my parents and my grandparents um, because they were all public service clergy members and active in the community. And my grandmother, or excuse me, my grandmother, oh, she'd be so mad. My mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, the shade. (laughs) I know. May she rest in peace, mama. But, um, Yes. So she loved to dress. And I picked that up from her because as a kid, I was always in her closet, putting on her clothes, dressing her up. Um, And I just and they were very supportive of it. I had Barbies and did, you know, play dress up with them and all that. Um, So that really seeded the passion for fashion. Um, And my aunt Beverly was also in the industry. But long story short, um, I ended up going to school for architecture because I also loved the built environment. Um, Growing up, I always loved building Lego homes. When The Sims came out, my friends would actually ask me to build their homes. Um, And, you know, it's just something we did as a family for leisure time is drive around looking at homes. Um, And, you know, we also lost our home twice growing up. So all of those things really bounced around in me for a lifetime. The curiosity of understanding why housing is such a precarious thing, um, understanding the role of housing in a community and a family's life, and all of the positive social determinants, just having stable housing, period, provide. Um, So to me, it just seems like that should be a top priority in our society. So ultimately, I got a degree in architectural studies, went and worked at the city of Phoenix, discovered this thing called city management, came back to KU because they have the number one program for that that area and uh, that area of interest of city and county management. And then lo and behold, it it all just came together to, to help me see that there is a need for stable housing There's a lot of obviously talk about affordable and accessible housing, but I feel like we're not doing a lot to actually try to solve the problem. Um, I feel like I'm tired of that. So that's really what led me um, to have this curiosity about housing. Um, Another bit of advice that I got once is like being an entrepreneur is about 
being a filter. So I also really enjoy reading a lot, um, listening to podcasts a lot, a lot, um, and YouTube, just following people who interest me. So I happened upon um, a YouTuber who followed the prefab housing movement. And I also found another one who did tiny homes. And then I stumbled upon, um, through a Netflix series I was watching, this thing called Compressed Earthen Block. So I started to wonder, you know, why isn't it possible to put all of these things together to offer a housing solution that's both environmentally friendly, but at the same time satiates that demand for beautiful, affordable infill housing? Wow, that's a lot. Oh my goodness. I know, I'm like, sorry. Where do I, dig, where do I dive girl. in? Right? Where do I dive in and dig in? Okay. Um, I know. And I've got a brick right here, too. So I, I should pull it up for display. Oh, God, it's very heavy. <laughs> oh, that, actually, that does look like a giant Lego. It, right, literally. Um, yeah. So what's cool is because it's like a giant Lego, um, these little bumps that you see, you basically just offset to do what's called a chasing brick pattern. So you and I could start constructing a wall now because you have the information you need um, and then we just basically use uh, an earthen glue to stick it together and the cool thing is that because it has these channels in it that's where you can run conduit you can run um, HVAC um, you can put rebar in to reinforce it but it's just a really quick way to erect a building and this is made of 90% dirt so very very sustainable. Okay, so sustainability in regards to like Earth Mother Nature, amazing. What about sustainability in regards to durability and how long the lifespan or anticipated lifespan for a house like this built like this would be? Yeah, so I love this question. Um, so this is what's called um, a structurally sound brick, meaning that when it gets wet, it doesn't melt away like a normal mud brick we'd make in the backyard. So the other fun fact is that this building material is actually what humans have used to build since 8700 BCE. So, you know, the great pyramids of Giza, the Mayan and Aztecan pyramids, um, Mykonos, if, you're, if you've ever been there, those are all earthen structures and they tend to last for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So that was the other concern for me. I, growing up, um, uh, in the Black community, you know, learning what I've learned about urban planning and city management, I just noticed the trend that in, in redline or marginalized communities, they tend to experiment um, and also not truly invest in longevity in a way like structural longevity. So using materials that can last forever. Um, and the other great thing is that, you know, since this is a material that can last for hundreds of years, requires little to no maintenance, um, and is also, because it's so thick and bricks hold on to their, their ambient temperature, um, the maintenance cost is low because there's no heating and cooling really. Um, yeah, it's just all, all around, I can't understand why it's not a more widely available building material. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
what questions do you have? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, so have you, how many of these homes have you built? I went to your website and I saw one and it was very beautiful. And I love how you marry the artwork on the outside with Thank you. what you're building, which is just, it's magical and amazing, which is why I loved it so much. But the exterior was beautiful with the artwork. How many of these homes have you already built and how many are you planning to build moving forward? So this is a really exciting time for the company because we're in startup phase. So I have my first site in uh, my hometown, Kansas City, Missouri. We have a historical area of town called 18th and Vine Jazz District. If you know of Charlie Parker, Duke Ellington, or Billy Holiday, they all played there. Charlie Parker is actually from Kansas City. Um, so it has a UNESCO World Heritage designation for jazz, and it's the only city in the world that holds that designation. Um, so I'm planning to build my first um, prototype there um, on a site called the Biden Street Castle. And then around the corner, I'm currently in negotiations to secure some parcels of land to stand up my first stone homes. So I've got three product offerings. Um, I'm starting with two because, you know, uh, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to think, you know, how would Tesla do this? The item with the least variability goes first. <laughs> um, so to that end, I've got my geo cabin that will be the prototype I'm standing up on the Vine Street Castle. And those are 200 to 300 square feet, um, really intended to be um, an ADU or accessory dwelling unit um, for, you could do it for short-term stays, you could live in it. Um, it's really a tiny home. Um, for most, I think they'd probably end up being more comfortable with my mid-size product, which is the stone home that's pictured on civicsaint.com. And that one's 600 to 750 square, square feet. And those will be around the corner on that site I mentioned we're negotiating right now. Okay, awesome. I'm really curious. Um, the stone homes, so the bricks mm -hmm. are the outside. What about like the flooring and like mm -hmm. interior stuff? Yeah. So the interior would look like a normal finished wall, kind of like what's behind you, except it'd be stucco. You can leave them bare, kind of like you might see um, in America and where I'm from. Everyone has a basement because we live in Tornado Alley. Um, <laughs> Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is from my home state, Kansas. <laughs> um so, you know, if you go down into the basements here, you'll typically see the cement block and it may be painted um, or it's just bare. So you could leave it bare if you want a rougher look. Um, but ultimately, it would look like a, a standard finished stucco wall. OK, but what about the flooring? Is that also going to be made oh. out of the bricks or is that like going to be wood flooring or, or how does that work? Oh, my God. Yeah, I totally missed the thought. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. Um, so I really like natural elements. So I really want to do like, I'd love to do some sort of like birch wood flooring that looks like it's been maybe lightly kissed by stain. Um, I've also, I'm really interested in cork flooring because it's extremely sustainable. Um, so yeah, that's an option that I'm kind of uh, my dream, my plan is to, similar to Tesla, when you order your home, uh, order your car, you'll have different options. So if you want a, a natural CEB floor, 
great. Your dishes are going to break anytime they hit it, but that's all you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't uh, don't get those breakable dishes then. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but truly, it would give you the ability to pick a package option based on your comfort, your aesthetic. Um, so ultimately, I would love to, I'm, I'm piecing those options together right now. Amazing. So, so walk us through like the price range from like your starter model, smaller model, all the way to the bigger one that you have planned. What's that price range look like? Because I know that affordability is definitely one of the biggest things that you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I had the opportunity to sit down with the Urban Land Institute. Um, I don't know if you have something comparable in Canada, but they're basically like a nonprofit planning partner um, for the community. And they're just interested in like land management. <laughs> so very, very dry to most, completely fascinating to me. <laughs> um, but um, I sat down with their CEO of the Kansas City affiliate, Catherine Carter, and she mentioned in that conversation that new builds in our community right now for a thousand square foot home are hovering around 250,000 um, for a stick built home. So that's high, obviously, for a very small space. Um, right now, my goal is to deliver for sub $100,000 for the two products I'd mentioned, the Geo Cabin and the Stone Home. So the Geo Cabin, I'm working to deliver for anywhere between um, about thirty to maybe maximum $40,000. Ultimately, my goal would be to drive it down even further to maybe get to a price range of fifteen dollars to $25,000. But that's a price ceiling I probably can't achieve until I have obviously more volume because economies of scale. Mm -hmm. And then the stone homes are going to be fifty to sixty-five thousand um, dollars, depending on the options. If you want to upgrade, I'll, I may offer premium upgrades. Again, we're still exploring all of those options, but um, I just priced out my prototype, and I know for a fact I can achieve the fifty to sixty-five thousand for the stone home, um, which is really exciting to me. Because if you think about that, you could buy this house for 65K, worst case scenario. And in my situation, I have a backyard, so I could plop it back there and either live in it, rent it, make it an artist studio. It just becomes another, another site on my property that gives me options financially as a landowner to build my own wealth, to grow my own business, or whatever else comes to mind. That's really amazing. It's like, it just for me living in Toronto, the place that I'm in here is like $800,000 for a two bedroom, very small 700 square foot apartment. And that to me is just insane with like the unaffordability of most people and mortgages and all the things. I don't own this place. I am very much renting just FYI. <laughs> Um, then, you can donate apps. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the link is in the show notes. Um, and so for, but for me, just like affordability is so important and we've commodified housing to a degree where it just, it really bugs me and pisses me off. So I'm really excited that there's people like you out there being like, look, we need to fix this and we can't wait for other people to do it or for legislation to change and these other things. We need to figure out 
ways to fix these problems now. Um, and it's really exciting because what you said back at the beginning, just stability is so important. I grew up in a very unstable household. My mom had to move out, had no job, no money. And it was like, she bounced around a lot and having that instability as a child really kind of drives that into you as an adult and all I crave now is stability and it's still so hard in you know our generation the you know below 40s it's getting harder and harder for us to find that stability for ourselves unless we decide to live at home and our parents aren't going to love that and this is the first yeah. generation where a 30 year old man is actually or 30 year old person is actually less well off than their parents generation was and things are going backwards. And so it's really reassuring to have somebody like you out there who's building these things and doing this to for the future, because I could definitely see like, many people going after these options once you are at mass and at scale. Thank you. And that that's the dream. Because to your point, I just, I want to give people the capacity to live their dreams, honestly, like full stop. Our brand promise, our mission is to make housing attainable so you can live your dreams. Um, because that's what my house has done for me. I, I never thought I would be able to own a home after my family lost our second home when I was 12 or excuse me, when I was 18, rather, the first one was 12. The second one was 18. I was actually in Russia, came home, and the house was empty. <laughs> so where's my family? Um, but yeah, so for me, now having a home, it's literally allowed me to shelter my friends and my family, to invest in my parents when they were alive. And now it's allowed me to start a business and even become a place where I found love and have started that relationship. And just knowing how much of a boon it's been for me, um, I can't even begin to imagine how others could leverage this asset if it's done in a way that's more scalable um, and just attainable. Mm-hmm. Oh, magical. Okay. What's been a pain point for you when it came to growing as a business owner and an entrepreneur? Because I can imagine this journey has not been easy. No. <laughs> no. Both personally and professionally. But, you know, if you want to build muscle, you must, um, you know, endure some pain. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I would say like the personal hurdles have obviously, you know, been losing my parents a lot earlier than I would have would have liked um, because my dad passed away when I was 29 and my mom when I was um, 31. And it's just been hard to navigate some of these choices and opportunities or challenges without having that advice and, you know, having that life term partner, you know? So essentially someone who has seen you from birth to this moment and knows you deeply in some ways better than you may know yourself to be able to just be that outside reflection point. Um, so rebuilding that has been a little bit of a challenge, finding that mentorship to fill the gaps because I'm never going to be able to, to, to replace or even create that level uh, of advice. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been hard more. And then how it shows up in the business. Um, gosh, I would say having the confidence to take the leap is always hard. 
Um, because when you're staring at, I'm someone who goes by the numbers. And when you're staring at the spreadsheet um, and maybe seeing the risk that moving into housing has financially, it's terrifying. Um, but at the same time, it's just reminding myself that, you know, if I go down, I go down trying to make housing more attainable. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's worth it. And I think the blessing and all that I've been through, because I also am a cancer survivor during the time I was losing my parents, um, it's shown me that, you know, as long as I have my life and my loved ones, that's all I need. Um, and even if my loved ones aren't with me physically, they're still, you know, with me spiritually, emotionally, um, in my memory through or through things my parents told me that I didn't want to hear because I was, you know, young and hard headed that I'm like, Oh, that is some good advice. <laughs> but yeah, does, does that answer the question? Or oh yeah. What do you think? I, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's, there's, I feel like there's two entrepreneurs. There's ones who just want to make a lot of money, but I think that that also just stems from craving stability in their life. Mm. And then there's the ones that are so purpose driven that they have to be an entrepreneur because they have to change some sort of injustice or something they see in the world that they want to make it a better place for other people. And I think the majority of entrepreneurs do genuinely fall into that camp of being like, I see something, I need to fix it. I have to because nobody else is or not seeing anybody else doing it. And even if I go down, I'm going down knowing that at least I tried. Yep. Yes. Uh, and, and then, and the magic in that is when it works. Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I noticed yes. you mentioned uh, mentorship. How big of a role has mentorship mm. played for you on your journey? It's been big. Um, and for me, it's been a retroactive realization, I would say. Um, because I haven't had a, you know, walk by my side mentor outside of my parents. Um, but the, so I'll say that, edit this out. <laughs> there ain't no editing on this show, girl. <laughs> oh, girl, no. I got caught up in my word soup. <laughs> it's all good. People, no, I, I, I don't ever edit my shows because I find people love the authenticity of it. They love the mess. That's what, like, why do you think people love reality TV? They love mess. True that. <laughs> True that. Especially when it's mess you don't have to deal with directly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, I see you over there. I'm clocking that, but I'm staying over mm-hmm. here eating my popcorn. <laughs> literally, there is literally a meme of a llama that's like chewing its uh, its cud, and it's like, and it reads close enough to to uh, ear to tea, and that's me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, so mentorship. Uh, mentorship has played a big role. Yes, yes, yes. It has truly because for me, I I've taken kind of like the board assemblage approach, so. There's someone that I see who does something really cool, and I feel like there might be kismet or connection um, because of how they approach their business or what they're actively doing just interests me. So I'm like, hey, can I sit down and just pick your brain and have a conversation like this? 
Um, so I did a, that a lot in my 20s uh, and in my early career. Um, when I was an AmeriCorps VISTA member, I was at the city of Phoenix, Arizona, and I was fortunate to have a really supportive supervisor who told me that very thing. You're here to, you know, A, get your job done, but you're also here to learn. So if there's something that sparks your curiosity, go and seek it out. I am here to support you. I am here to make those introductions. And my God, she delivered. <laughs> so um, I, I would say even if you, I, I share that story because I often think people think mentorship means finding that singular person who can follow you through the arc of your career or whatever journey you're on. And that's not necessarily the case. I think mentorship is about finding the person who's best able to help you achieve your dreams, um, who can work as a sponsor. So actively getting you those opportunities or opening the door for you or promoting you up into that space. Um, they can be a critic to help you see yourself from a different perspective to learn and grow. Um, and they can also just be emotional comfort. You know, like, yo, I am going through this really hard thing. Can you relate? Ugh. Thank God you can. I'm not crazy. So that's kind of how I've pieced together what I would call the full body of a mentor. But if I were to add it up, I mean, the tally right now for people I go to for those things is probably around a dozen. And, you know, and within that, I don't want people to think that that means that you're sitting down with them regularly, like every week. That's not necessarily true. It's more so a hey, I noticed you're really good at this thing. Let's have our initial intro talk. Could I stay in touch with you if I have more questions? The answer is usually yes, fortunately. Um, so that's how I've approached it. Awesome. I love that. And that's so true. Like, I've, I'm very much the same on my journey. I've kind of had mentors along the way just because I picked people's brains and like I've watched a lot and I, I like to watch and observe because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to improve upon the wheel. Um, so yes. I'm like, well, who's fucked up? Who is who's uh, fucked up enough uh, that I can watch and be like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, mm -hmm. but, but like, I do have one mentor who I actually just caught up with yesterday. And it, it we do like the once a month kind of a thing. And it is so right. grounding to also have that person who is like a consistent, I know what I'm going to get when we come together, we're talking about business and like, but also personal lives and stuff like that, because it does intermingle, it does mesh together. Um, but being able to find that and have that in, in your life is so important. And I think anybody listening, if you don't have a mentor, and you want a mentor, it's not about finding just a program or something, there are tons of them out there. I know NGLCC has them, CGLCC has them, lots of programs out there have them. Um, but just finding people in your world that are in a place you want to be at and asking if they'll go for a coffee or talk to you about it. And then you can lead into making it, you know, if you want it to be professional and consistent being like, Hey, can we do this like once a month? And like, can this be a professional mentorship or just, you know, picking people's brains and be like, Hey, I want to know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell me more. Right. <laughs> um, so you ended up winning $30,000. Nice. Um, the NGLCC <laughs> Leadership Conference in Denver, which is where I saw you, which was amazing. You absolutely blew me out of the water on the stage. How are Thank you going to be using that prize money to further your goals with Civic Sane? 
Yeah, so that money is really important because it's the first, um, you know, seed of an investment. So I've already used that money to book a training course so I can actually learn how to run a CEB, uh, excuse me, compressed earthen block. That's what that stands for, um, a CEB production facility. So um, my business and life partner, Chris, and I are going down to that training in November. Um, and then I'm also about to order, I actually have the invoice in my inbox, um, order our production equipment today. So that was the other, yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, so truly that is groundbreaking, pun fully intended. Um, <laughs> I love my dad jokes, but um, <laughs> um, I, I'm like, as an aside, that's in the handbook, you know, working at Civic Saint, you gotta come with your best, you know, corny jokes. <laughs> I love that, I love it. Here for the puns. But truly, so to that point, um, we're ordering our production equipment that will allow us to build that prototype I mentioned starting as soon as it arrives, roughly in three months. So um, that would be roughly January, February, if I'm doing the math right, um, at the latest. So we'll build and then in April, we're going to have our public um, launch or, or prototype party is what I'm calling it. Um, uh, in the office right now, but essentially it's going to be um, the last week of April during Kansas City's Design Week, which brings together folks from our design, architecture, and creative industries. And my my other business partner for this actual prototype site, Pat Jordan, she was excellent and secured the actual site itself. So we're going to stand up um, one of Civic Saints geo cabins there and use it as a show home to really talk with these folks about how they can um, use environmentally friendly design techniques to create affordable housing, how they can, you know, use the principles of neuroaesthetics to create more enriching spaces so that when you are working in marginalized communities, you're not just putting in hideous stuff, you're putting in stuff that actually inspires people and can create a sense of community and produce better mental and physical health and community outcomes. Um, so that, that, none of that would be possible without the NGLCC Pitch Award um, because it's paid for, again, the literal class it's paid for the equipment and then it's paid for our, our design and staff time to build toward that, that manifestation. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I know, right? What's coming next in 2024 for Civic Saint? Uh, well, I mean, first and foremost, that prototype I mentioned. So again, um, that's during Casey Design Week, which is in April of 2024. So please look it up. I believe they're going to be announcing those dates anytime uh, in the coming weeks um, publicly. So you've got a little bit of an insider scoop here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's going to be big for us because it will allow us to have a physical product to get even more market feedback. Um, and then from that, we're going to be uh, introducing our very first uh, product. 
So my goal is to launch the prototype in April, let that stand, give tours, do um, brick building demonstrations to help people build familiarity and understanding with the material, and then um, you know gather market feedback. And then towards the end of the summer, that's when I'll open up public orders. Um, my, my target date is September 1st. And that will be for a limited run of our geo cabin so that folks can, you know, have them in their backyards or wherever. Um, and then from that, I'll probably take a pause, see where we're at in the winter, do some tweaks. And then in 25, you know, go even bigger. But I'm trying to, um, one thing that I, I heard from a really great uh, podcast called How I Built This that I follow there was an entrepreneur there that talked about having um, a lifetime business. And while I do want to grow very quickly because the issues we're trying to solve for need to be solved yesterday, I also want to make sure that I'm growing in a way that's sustainable so that I can provide ideally lifetime employment for my employees and for myself and my family. I want to be a business where you know, I empower my police to have some form of stability with their civic saint income and maybe I'm 20 to 30 hours of their work week. And then ideally, because I'm employing artists and people involved in the community, they're spending that other time that would be devoted toward a 40 hour work week doing what brings them joy, working on their artistic practice, volunteering, spending time with their family or just taking a goddamn nap. Yeah. <laughs> that's what i would be doing <laughs> yes i love that that really that really strikes a chord with me because i've had similar thoughts i'm i'm just at the precipice of like starting to create my own agency for search engine optimization for seo and kind of building that out and my whole thoughts about doing that is doing it sustainably getting people who are you know you know certified from the bodies that maybe were certified, the CGLCC, NGLCC, mm -hmm. uh, diverse peoples, the IWSCC, which is um, veterans and people living with disabilities, and mm -hmm. really being very conscious about the people that I'm hiring, and then also making sure that I'm paying them a really good livable salary. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. like, livable as in like, this is the standard livable as in like eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 a year, which is well above others so that they can actually afford to have their own one bedroom condo or their two bedroom condo and to not live with a weight of like debt. And then also have like educational classes once a month about finances, making sure I'm setting them up with people so that we're setting them up for the future. And I think that a lot of conscious business people is the way that the future is going, especially our generations. We're like, let's, we've got fucked from a lot of shit that happened to <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <True>. And like, <laughs> there was no lube. And we are now looking for a more a way that all of us can move forward together. And it's the only way that I can see the world really coming together and surviving as a humanity is by us being like, look, we have to change. And I'm so glad that you're implementing those kinds of things in your business as well for the long-term future of Civic Saint. Thank you. Yeah, I really just, I mean, true to the name, I really want people to see that there are different options and how you choose to do business. I've I remember when I was really little, I heard that um, uh, that quote by The Economist, and now I'm going to forget his name, it, Milton Freeman, perhaps? Sure. That the, uh, yes, fact check me. But essentially, the quote was that the job of business is to make money for its shareholders, 
period. And I'm like, that isn't, I was nine when I heard that. That didn't make sense then. And you got a 65 year old economics professor saying that who paid him off. That, <laughs> so it's just, it's never made sense to me unless you take the viewpoint that shareholders, and I think this, I hope this was the miss, that shareholders are the employees, the community, um, and the leaders that make up that business, and the customers, obviously, too. In that sense, then, yeah, I, I could accept making money for the shareholders being the top goal. But as it's been practically implemented, it's really meant that companies have lost their attachment to community. They don't invest in their employees. Um, and it's just, I mean, we're seeing it to your point. We're living these negative outcomes and are all starving for something new. So while I can't solve every problem, I do want to show people that you can make small choices in your business that can have a big impact. Even if you can only do one thing, like pay your people a living wage, that's really darn huge. Mm -hmm, definitely. I just have to point out this whole interview, if you're watching this on YouTube, the Kansas sign behind you, because it's a circle, has literally made you look like a saint the whole time. <laughs> and I'm just like, how, how perfect is this? <laughs> you're going to go back and watch it and be like, oh, yeah, like literally the whole time you're talking, it's just been this perfect halo around your head. And I'm like, I love you, it. Know what? you know what? It is what it is. And I got this angelic glow coming in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, this has been an absolute delight and pleasure. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on the podcast. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing with Civic Saint? Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an amazing conversation. And you've got me wanting to move to Toronto now because everyone's so nice. <laughs> but yes, I would love to stay connected with everyone. So we're on Facebook and Instagram at Civic Saint. And then you can also find us online at civicsaint.com. And if you're interested in staying updated about when the houses launch, um, please scroll down and actually opt into the notifications to be the first to hear about that. Um, and then I will say uh, another little tidbit is that I may genuinely be coming to Toronto soon. Um, so we'll have to stay connected because there are some bubbling opportunities there to participate in, in your houselessness and homelessness crisis to hopefully provide civic state as a solution. But um, we'll see how that goes. That's, that's, Oh, I'll try that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. You'll have to let me know. Thank you so much for being on the show, Godfrey. I hope you have a magical day and peace, love, rainbows to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Wow. What an absolute magical episode with Godfrey. He is just, I mean, it's all in the name, Civic Saint. Like he is here doing the good work helping out making sure that this housing crisis has solutions coming down the pipeline and i'm so excited to see what civic saint and he does in the future thanks again for tuning in today don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button and if you really enjoyed today's episode please consider giving it a star rating the business gay podcast is written produced and edited by me Callan brecken 
If you're looking for a free website audit, you can head on over to callenbrecken.com forward slash audit, and I'll set you up with a free website audit where I will give you a rundown of your website and I'll share with you how you can improve your SEO today. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Peace, love, rainbow.